Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. In 2001, one of the hottest names in college football coaching was a man named George O'Leary. Some of you may remember him and his story. Coach O'Leary led the mostly mediocre Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. I apologize to a few Yellow Jacket fans earlier this morning, but it was true. It was a team that was not known for their consistent winning until Coach O'Leary got there and he turned them around making them a legitimate team where they went to a bowl almost every year. Coach O'Leary was so highly regarded in the coaching circles that when powerhouse Notre Dame had an opening for their coaching position, they went after Georgia Tech's coach. O'Leary was hired, he left Georgia Tech, and he took over at the helm of the mighty Fighting Irish. Notre Dame was positive they had found their new leader and the future was going to be glorious. Some of you all know how the story ends. What happened with Coach O'Leary is that his coaching career lasted a mere five days. Not during the season, but five days after he was announced the head coach. He barely made it past the press conference. What could have gone so wrong? Clearly, they spent time and energy and money to research this guy. He was a veteran. He was proven. He was a longstanding coach. How could he lose his job in just five short days? What on earth did he do? Well, here's what happened. After hiring Coach O'Leary, Notre Dame discovered that there were discrepancies on his resume from years earlier. Multiple discrepancies. One is that he had completed a master's program in which he, in fact, not completed. He started it, but he hadn't completed it. It had nothing to do with football, but yet it wasn't true. But even more shocking for a football coach is that he claimed on his resume that he had played college football. Turned out he had never played at all. He simply had been part of a team and lifted weights, but he didn't play. When all of this was discovered, he had to resign. And the college football world was rocked by the reality that after five short days, Notre Dame football coach was out over a scandal of trustworthiness. Now, to be perfectly honest, for all of us SEC guys, we got a good chuckle over that. That's a sermon for another day about our pride. But keeping in place here, what's the issue? When you aren't honest about the past, then what we see is we can't trust you for the future or certainly for the present. If you're attempting to sell a false product, you can't be trusted. You are trying to trick someone into hiring you. You're not being believable. That's the problem. The past affects the present. What I want us to see this morning from our passage is what wisdom claims about herself. 
And can you trust wisdom today based on what wisdom says is true of her in the past? Wisdom's going to share with you her resume, her CV. And the goal this morning is for you to trust it today based upon what she says is true in the past. All right, this is our fifth Sunday in our summer series of Proverbs. I hope you have enjoyed this. We have seen that Proverbs highlights that there are competing lines for us to find success in life. That is those who follow the wisdom of the Lord and those who reject the wisdom of the Lord. We've defined wisdom as the supernatural gift, the ability to see the world through the lens the Lord sees the world. To be able to see this world the same way the creator of the world sees the world. To see with his eyes, to understand with his mind, to understand with his heart. One commentator I saw this week uh, defined wisdom this way. He says, it is the mastery of life. That is, you become a master of how to live. Who doesn't want that? Of course, we all do. Last week, our text warned us not to reject a life of wisdom. This week, our text seeks to persuade us. It's not a warning this morning. It is a persuasion that a life of trusting Jesus makes sense based upon his past track record. That is, it's worth the purchase, it's worth the hire, it's worth the risk to follow Christ. Last week was a lot of bad news, this week's a lot of good news. So, two points to consider this morning as we consider this life of wisdom. First, examine wisdom's claims and be shocked. But then secondly, enjoy wisdom's promises and be blessed. So examine his claims, enjoy his wisdom. And my question for you, are you ready to trust wisdom's call? Maybe for the first time, are you willing to believe that you can give your entire life to Christ and trust that he knows what he's doing? All right, let's be persuaded by wisdom's past accomplishments. Uh, Look again, the first 21 verses of chapter 8. I'm not going to reread all these, I promise. But I want you to think about this in the context of you being trying to uh, consider purchasing a product and the seller is persuading you. Look at both the character and the uh, credentials of the one trying to make this persuasion. Notice some of the observations of this person. Verses 1 through 5, wisdom is stating as loudly as she can, she wants you. She wants the job. She wants the position. She believes she can do the work. Verses 6 through 9, wisdom claims that her ways are true. They aren't crooked. They aren't uh, twisted. Rather, they are based on integrity. Verses 10 and 11, and then later in chapter 8, wisdom again claims that a passive trusting her may include silver and gold. But even if it doesn't, what she has to offer is far superior than silver and gold. Verse 13, this reiteration that wisdom is always connected to the fear of the Lord, as we have seen each week. Thus, personal pride, personal arrogance are always completely opposite to the way of wisdom. Verse 21, wisdom claims that if we will love what she possesses, then we will receive all that belongs to her. What a promise. Now, if we simply stop right there, I think we would all look at that and sound like, yeah, we agree with everything. We're pretty intrigued. These are good claims. They provide what we think the Bible would provide. There's nothing shocking here that following God includes integrity, includes obedience, includes everlasting rewards. Uh, Really, that, that would be good. 
But notice verse 22. Something is said that demands that we pay closer attention and either to ignore this or to give our life to it completely. Wisdom's claim now is that this is not just an idea, that this is not just a way of seeing the world as God sees the world, but now we see that wisdom is a person who has been around for a very long time and has a very impressive resume. This person contributed to some very impressive work. Wisdom reveals that the resume includes such things as, quote, being possessed by Yahweh when the world was created. Wisdom was established before the beginning of the earth. Wisdom was there when the heavens were established. Wisdom helped determine how far the sea was allowed to go and then stop. Wisdom was daily at the Lord's side at creation. And then I love verse 30, the mystery that's involved here. Wisdom was the, quote, master workman at Yahweh's side and was a delight in the contribution of creation. All right, that's quite a claim. That's shocking. Providing delight to God as God created. I don't know what resumes you've seen in your life, what CVs you've looked at. I've seen a few over the years. Some are better than others. I guess I've got my own if I think about it. It's not that impressive. Uh, It would say something along the lines of, I worked for Campus Crusade from 1995 to 2006. I guess I could talk about some of the stuff I did there. I talked to college students about the Lord. I led small groups, etc., It's not exactly eye-popping. You're not going to be overly impressed by that. But if I had said, I was there at the beginning of crew. I started crew. In 1951 at UCLA, I was right there. The reality is, I wasn't even born then. It would be a ridiculous claim. You see the point. You might pay attention to me at that point, but you certainly wouldn't trust me. Here's the issue. As we read these claims, we have to ask, Who is this person? Who makes claims like this? That they were at Yahweh's side bringing delight to him as he spoke creation into being. Don't we need to investigate a little bit further? Because if this is true, this is someone that we are going to want. We're going to make this higher. It's another good time in our study of Proverbs to be reminded That God did inspire portions of his word to be written poetically. And that's what this is. Proverbs is a book of poetry. So thus, when we read and understand this accordingly to that genre, scholars tell us this is not some extra heavenly being, but rather this is a personification of the God who became a person. We say that again. It's a personification of the God who became a person. I think you know who I'm talking about. Hear this from the New Testament, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. These words are pointing us to the one who became wisdom for us from God. So if our eyes are going to be open this morning to see the world as God sees the world, 
then understand that will only happen as you see the majesty of our King Jesus more and more. You see, Jesus is the master craftsman at work. He is the one who understands how life exists. To ask someone to claim to know wisdom and how that will affect us is really to ask the question, what claims does Jesus make? And what is Jesus doing? And what does Jesus want? That's the issue. How do the claims of Jesus affect you this morning? How will you hope to build your life? How will you hope to be successful in your future? Proverbs reveals more and more of Jesus' credibility that you can trust him. So again, the question is, how does Jesus' past affect your view of life today? As I prayed through this passage this week and thought about it, of all the claims of Jesus that we could consider, and there are many, of course, Matthew chapter 11 came to my mind, and you know this verse, but let me read it to you again. This is what Jesus says that he can do for you. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, is this not what every one of us is looking for today? Rest for our souls, deep trust, strong hope, confidence in who he is and what he's doing. As we look around our world, I think the world promises for us just about anything and everything. But it does not promise rest for our souls. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus claims to do that. Only Jesus is worthy to put your trust in him that he can do that. And that's exactly what the master craftsman wants to do. I said earlier that the goal this morning of Proverbs 8 is to persuade you to believe in your whole being, in your whole heart, in your whole mind, that a life of trusting Jesus is worth it. Based first on the claims that wisdom put on his resume. So let me simply ask you this question. What defines success for you today? If you could have blank and you fill that in and you get it, if you have that, does it give rest to your soul? Whatever that is, can it remotely compare to the one who is the craftsman at Yahweh's side bringing delight to the Lord? The answer is no. The answer has to be no. There's nothing that compares to the one who could do that. Be shocked this morning by this claim. But I beg you also to be shocked that the Jesus who applauded the work at creation is the Jesus who is alive inside of you and the Jesus who is alive here this morning with us. This is good news. The trust that you have in Jesus is worth it. Compare and contrast what you want in life to the person who created the ability to live. And you will find that Jesus is worth it. Now, Hopes of persuading you, we've seen the claims of wisdom's past. Now, point two, enjoy his promises today. Notice verse 32. And see how what God is doing in your life this morning should bring enjoyment, no matter what pain you're going through. Here, verse 32 again. And now, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. And then skip down to verse 35. 
Whoever finds me finds life. This is the part of the resume that says, if you hire me, you're not going to be disappointed. That is, if you will just look at everything I have done in the past, I promise I can do the job for you today. The person wisdom again pleads with her son, listen to my voice. I love the heart of our Lord. He is not hiding from us his ongoing desires to convince us of his love, but also of his ability. Church, Jesus knows what he's doing. Last night, Lisa and I and Keaton went out to dinner, and we were driving back home, and it was around 6.30, and I wanted to come by the office and print some stuff off to get ready for church this morning. I pulled into the parking lot, and I saw what looked to be Bobby Pepiot's car, and it was Saturday night at 6.30, and the fellowship doors were open. So I was just curious enough to find out, what on earth is Bob doing at church on Saturday night at 6.30? Well, it turned out there was a group of deacons and other folks in the church yesterday who worked on the stage in the fellowship hall yesterday. They started at 8 o'clock in the morning, and at 6.30, Bobby was still going strong. He and Mark Garrison were there. They had drills in one hand, hammers in another. Music was blaring. They were as happy as they could be. They were pretend construction workers, and they could not have been happier. They were doing what they loved to do. And I thought of that last night in conjunction with this passage. They were master craftsmen, or at least in their mind, they're master craftsmen. But you know what a master craftsman like to do? They like to do their skill. Jesus is our master craftsman. You know what he likes to do? He likes to do his work in us. We can trust what he's doing in our life today because he is forming us to be more like him. The word here in the passage is to be, quote, blessed. To be blessed in the Old Testament, you could simply translate this in our word to be happy, but really it's so much more than just happy It's a supernatural state of being where our souls are at rest. Our souls are calmed because we know that Jesus is the worker and he is doing the work. Maybe you asked this morning, how do I actually get that kind of life? How do I enjoy living like that? I think the answer is found in verse 34, and I hope you're prepared that it's not very glamorous. But it's a combination of several things. To be blessed by God and live this blessed life involves listening for him, watching for him, and waiting for him. Listening, watching, and waiting. All the while continually looking for the instruction of the Lord, which in part at least could be found throughout the rest of the book of Proverbs. Listening, watching, waiting. These are the actions of one who has a rich life in Christ. These are the actions of one who trusts that Jesus knows what he's doing, that he is building something. These are the actions of one who someone, just like Vicki read for us in James 1, where we're asking to be made wise. Make no mistake, to enjoy the gift that wisdom promises is a daily activity of walking in step with Jesus. It's abiding with him. It's hearing his voice. It's fellowship with his people. It's hearing his preached word. It's doing what we're doing right now. And you know what that enjoyment produces? Verse 35, as we've already read, 
It is life and favor with him. It's life. That's what we want. It's life. Whenever you see life in scripture, it's always referring to one of three things. It's our life of coming to know the Lord the first time when we're converted. Or it's life eternity after our deaths where we spend with him. But then lastly, it's our life right now. And that is faith in Christ. That's what it is. The blessing of having our lives conformed to the person of Jesus. Of the master craftsman doing his work in our soul. So let me stop right here and simply ask you this question. Is that the blessing that you want? Because that's the blessing that God promises. The blessing that he promises is that he will sanctify you and it will be an honor for him to do so. The blessing is that he will test your faith, that he will try your faith, that he will grow you, that he will fit you for all of eternity. That is the blessed life. Is that what you want? If you're looking for some other kind of life, Jesus does not promise that. He promises that he will take your life and conform you to be like him. If you consider that life worth it, then understand this. To be counted worthy, to have your sins exposed, to have your sins mortified, is a reminder of the honor of the work that Jesus has chosen to do in you. He loves you so much. He's preparing you for all of eternity. This is our life today. Friends, to enjoy him is to enjoy the life that wisdom produces. Your life becoming more like him, and he knows what he's doing. Don't underestimate how great this is. Remember the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3? He was in prison, facing ultimate death. He suffered, but in his heart he was fully alive. And here's what he said in the midst of the suffering. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, the master craftsman, the shepherd. Nothing compares to knowing him. The master craftsman work had been done in Paul's life. To find something other than that would always disappoint. Church, this morning, enjoy the fact that Jesus is building us. Jesus is growing us. Jesus is remodeling us. We are in his school of growth. He's fitting us. Be encouraged this morning. You are worthy of his work of sanctification. So friends, whatever you're facing this morning, whatever difficulty, whatever hardship, Jesus knows what he's doing. His resume is pretty solid. You can trust him. You can trust the one who was at creation and enjoyed his father's delight because he's the same one on the cross who received his father's deepest destruction. He is skilled in the work that he's doing and your heart can rest secure in him. He is the one who calls us his friends. He is the one who makes it possible that his father is now our father. So church, we can trust what he's doing. His past reveals is strong. His past reveals we can be confident today. His past reveals that our hope is found in him and that hope will not disappoint. You know my favorite part of the Coach O'Leary story? It's not that he got fired, not that it was bad for Notre Dame. I laughed at that, but that's not what it is. It's that when his lies were discovered and he admitted them, 
and he confessed them. He changed his resume, he took full responsibility, and then after some time, he was given another chance where he became a very successful football coach all the way until his retirement. You see, his story wasn't over because of his mistakes, and neither is ours. See, our story is not over because Jesus didn't make any mistakes. You can trust him this morning. And as we prepare to come to his table, let us remember it's not too late to trust him. It's not too late. Today might be the very day for the first time you will believe in your heart. Jesus knows what he's doing. Trust him. Amen and amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to prepare us to come to his table. Father, we do thank you that you are alive, that you are active, that you are good, that you care for us, that you are trustworthy, that your word is true. We thank you even this morning as we uh, consider this great Old Testament passage that all of your word is pointed toward us and to your sacrifice. So as we dare approach this table, we do so knowing that you want us to come. We thank you for that this morning in Christ's name. Amen.